Hi, I'm your host today, Kim Campbell. You're listening to Circus Voices, brought to you by Circus Talk, the international circus sector's inclusive and independent online platform. Welcome to Circus Voices, a podcast brought to you by Circus Talk. I'm your host, Kim Campbell, and my guest today is Zinzi Uchemann. She's a lifelong circus artist who specializes in hand-to-hand with her partner, Evertien Mercier. And I mean lifelong, because she started at four with Circus Elibou, the youth circus in Amsterdam. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Am I saying that wrong? No, that was good. Elibou, okay. She's also a writer and a creator, and after graduating from Code Arts about 10 years ago, she set out to explore the circus world and make art, um, working with circus companies and collectives like CXY, which is in English we say company XY, and The Seven Fingers and Hira. She also founded her own circus company with four others called Common Ground. And I guess I'll stop there because I don't want to tell all of her stories for her. Hi, Zinzi. <laughs> Can you introduce yourself and, and, and tell me anything important that I missed in your intro? Um, well, you said a lot already. Um, maybe it's interesting why I started with circus. Um, actually... It is my parents who first proposed it, um, and mainly because, uh, and that's quite important in the way I see circus, it's because it is something physical, something challenging, but not a competition. Mm-hmm. So the main focus is cooperation rather than um, competition, and that is, for me, absolutely essential about circus. I hear you. I had a similar situation with my uh, eldest who was in gymnastics and didn't like the competition aspect and then went into circus. So that's what draws a lot of people to it. It's the it's the cooperative aspect, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And maybe something else that um, if you hear about those things, yes, I do really love working in companies and in collectives. But um, we've been doing also a lot of work just with the two of us, with our act in um, more traditional programs or varieties and also a lot on the streets. It's also something I really love. Ah, that's good to know. Yeah. And you're developing a new street show right now, right? Yes. Cool. I want to hear more about that, too. Well, um, I've recently come across something in another creation that I thought could be very interesting to develop a little bit more, um, which is a kind of acrobatics, which is not really acrobatics. Basically, it's more climbing around each other. And as we are doing it, we are discovering it. Ooh. I'm not sure that is very clear, but I, that's what we're working on in the moment. I see the connection between... Uh, company XY and that so I can see how you know those two ideas are sort of related um, from your experience yeah. so um, well how many years did you work as a performer before you decided to try directing um, actually my first the first time I came into contact with um, directing was when I was doing my minor in the school uh, it's composition. So, yeah, how to organize people in space, um, basically. 
and um, how to develop material for that and everything. And I thought that was the most interesting thing, um, except for the circus technique. Um, then I knew I wanted to do more with that later on, but I first thought I needed experience and, um, uh, yeah, just to get out there and do my, my thing first and learn a lot before I could go there. Uh, so I started writing um, for the development program that I did in 2016, so six years later. Okay. Well, was the transition from being a performer to being a director challenging? Um, and is that what led you to write the book Grip, which we're about to talk about today? Yes and no. I mean, I think we always create our own material as um, performers as well, or at least I always create my own material. Um, but it is different to create for others and to be um, responsible for the total picture of everything. Of course, you do this for your act, but for a whole show, it's definitely something else. And yes, that has been a challenge for me, definitely. Yeah. Um, I felt that there was, there was not a lot of concrete things out there that I was missing in kind of hands-on material that I could just get to work with. Um, and that is why I decided to write this down. Right. And, and you call it a toolkit, um, which is interesting because, like you say, there's not a whole lot of resources out there, especially written ones, for how to create circus or circus dramaturgy. Um, does the toolkit, is it, does contemporary circus, I guess I should say, do you feel like it needs a toolkit in order for the process to be understood by creators or is it more uh, intuitive? I would definitely say it is more intuitive. Um, so is it necessary? Well, Maybe not for those who have been doing it for years and years, but uh, for someone starting out and uh, getting stuck every once in a while, I think it's very useful. At least for me, it helped a lot to, to do the interviews with the other creators, to hear their perspectives and their um, ways to get over a hump or if they hit a problem, because of course we will hit different problems, but having all of these things to fall back on, you can always find a way to move forward. That's, I think, what it is most useful for. Yeah, I see your point. Um, and how did you come up with the idea to create the book? How did it evolve? Um, well, at first, um, I thought that from combining the experiences of all those people, for sure there would be a clear line from beginning to end <laughs> and they would somehow all match together into one perfect way to create circus. But of course, um, they didn't. <laughs> That's not what <laughs> happened. <laughs> um, I have to say, they don't exclude each other at all. Like They don't contradict each other, the people that are talking. But if you go one way, you cannot go both ways. It was quite obvious that you cannot use everything all the time. You have to have a kind of focus. Mm. Um, so then I decided, OK, let's just um, write down everything that I came across. Because in the end, it is 
quite some material and then to just say, okay, this is all the stuff that is out there. And then I also wanted to write a little bit about um, my experiences, what I had, how I had seen it done in collective work um, with XY, XY, for example. And um, yeah, and then I just started writing about everything. So that became the kind of the first chapter about my own experiences. Then the second one is a more overview. And um, actually, the last part is more of a coincidence because the um, the people that I worked with for this program, they um, asked me about it and they listened to it and they said, oh, this is actually super interesting. Why don't you add some of this into the book? Because sometimes you can refer to it and then it's interesting for somebody to think, ah, okay, what was that about? And then they can just read the interview. That's cool. And so, yeah, because the first part of the book is more about your experience and then you go into the interviews. And, um, and I think what you're talking about largely is about what you're talking about seems to be about devising circus, like the whole process. And, and each director seems to come at it from a different um, position. And I wonder if to you, when you interviewed everyone, did certain people come at it from a more theatrical background and did certain people come at it from a dance background or, or a circus background? And how did those differ from what you noticed? Yes, definitely. Um, it was a very clear difference. The ones um, that started from a more dance uh, kind of way. It's not different in the sense that they both use improvisation as a tool, but in a very different way. Hmm. <laughs> so the um, people who come from a more choreography-based way of creating they warm up the artists and they need them to move in space and they look at bodies, they look at relations between these bodies and um, rhythm, uh, everything that is involved there. While the ones that come from theater are instantly um, drawn to the relationship between the people. So of course there is also if people are far apart, they have a different relationship than when they are super close. But they start with digging into this relationship and digging into the characters. And from there on, they start to build what those characters will do. Yeah. So those are two very different approaches. That totally makes sense. I could see how that would be different. So those are different tools that they use probably just in the early phases to, to develop. Um, so you worked with a really large acrobatic company with company XY and you describe in your book how you were part of the show development for Il n'est pas encore minuit with the help of an outside eye whose name was what was his name? Louis Touzet. Louis Touzet. And as a group you came up with this concept of dominoes with each action leading to another. Um, and you describe yeah. how a lot of those ideas the cast they were kind of dangerous at first, and um, but you did them with guideline, guidelines to protect yourselves, and then kind of the Louise or Tuse figured out which ones were most interesting, and then you kind of perfected them. You know, as a, an audience member who's seen some of the shows, it, it's such an amazing thing because it seems so fresh and so scary, dangerous, but so uh, un, impossible when you see it. But it's really something that has been. Um, practice to a perfection. Um, what 
What about those techniques surprised you or interested you? And do you still see them in your work today? Um, what I found most surprising, and I think that that will never stop, <laughs> is that um, sometimes you have a crazy idea and then you just need to do it in, in a safe way, of course, which was a little bit more complicated with XY, which is why the whole process took more time. But basically, you just need to do it. And then when somebody is, is watching that, then they see something which was not at all your idea. But it doesn't matter because they pick out this one little thought and then you start digging into that thought. And often it's so much more interesting to go in that direction than the thing you've started from. So I think that was the case here. We had this one idea with the deviation and he saw something that it made a kind of flow in general and that to be able to um, get people off course, they needed to already be influenceable. I don't know if that's a word, but... Yeah. <laughs> Like, um, it had to be possible that by the slightest thing, they would be moved in space. So he saw our idea for movement in a kind of more general way of, of a state of being that we needed to go to mm. in order to get this idea and to get it to work on stage. So I think that's what he brought to the table for that particular scene and then once we knew the state uh, of being our energy and our relationship to each other which all of that came with this one uh, with this one uh, simple idea actually and then we could work from there yeah and the interesting thing that you think about with company xy is there's 20 plus people in the company performing at any given time right uh, yeah we were 22 yeah in the show yeah, so, so that's a lot of relationships. How do you even begin to code those or, or notice those? Are, are they always changing? Is it, is it more like a pack mentality or something? Well, I think in that show, um, we were changing our relationship a little bit between different parts of the show. So there were parts in the show where clearly there was a more theatrical relationship from one person to the other, and some other where the relationship was far more based on, on passing energy from one to the other mm. and having a general energy on stage which made your relationship to the other person um, more based on, on finding a common move than finding um, a the relationship to that person was more like joining the other person because we are so many we often need to join a big part of the group to be able to to give an image on stage because that would be crazy 22 different energies on stage i don't think we would really be able to say anything anymore to the audience true i can see that point and it, the result is very magical though and and why is that why is the group energy so important to us as audience members and how does it feel as a creator to be part of that does it feel do you feel like you're really part of a group when it happens do you feel you know held by that in some way um 
I think it is necessary to have an energy as a group to be able to speak with one voice. Mm. And because we are so many speaking with one voice, our message is louder or bigger to the audience, which is a powerful tool, I think. Um, same for, for dividing the energies. If you have one versus 21, it is very different than one versus one, yeah. obviously. Uh, and the same splitting the group in two, still 11 versus 11 feels like rather two, gang versus two gangs uh, facing each other than, um, than a simple uh, discussion between two people. So, yeah. um, and to be part of that is, is humbling <laughs> because you need to definitely set aside your ego um, but you need to find um, the empowerment within, actually. I mean, if you, if you do it right, then you get a lot of energy out of it as well. Oh, I can imagine. That's so, it's such a great uh, company to, you know, to, like, get your chops in, I think. And now, a message from Circus Talk. Take advantage of Circus Talk's 60% off COVID-19 discount now on yearly pro membership. Sign up on Circus Talk today. Let's switch gears here a little bit and talk about um, your book and some of the topics you bring up in there. Um, you discuss, for example, how circus for you is a matter of perspective, form, and problem solving, as opposed to storytelling. And I wonder if you can explain this philosophy a bit and how it shows up in your work and tell me, do you not care for circus that takes a political stance or tells a story then? Or is it just a different experience for you? Well, I can answer that relatively quickly. Yes, I do love circus that takes a political stand, but I believe that the creator and the performer need to take a political stand and that will come through in the performance. Of course, you can make a performance all about that, but um, I just wanted to say I'm totally not against that. It's just okay. not my starting point. <laughs> no, that, that makes sense. And it's an interesting um, distinction. So tell me more about the uh, concept of form. and. So what I realized, well, maybe I should add that... Um, I have a lot of um, psychologists in my family, so ah. <laughs> <laughs> it is something that um, comes up in general conversation. And one of the, the things that I love in that area is creative thinking. Um, I'm not sure it is clear as such as a term, but um, basically creative thinking is the opposite of logical thinking. Mm. And um, what we learn when we grow up in school is all logical thinking. Like we start to think in patterns, we try to make sense of the world uh, by regulating it, um, by putting like boxes and everything. And you know what I mean? Yeah, like labeling. We structure <laughs> the world a certain way. Mm -hmm. So this is logical thinking. What I love about creative thinking is that Kids do it naturally, and we kind of forget about it. Mm -hmm. But it is actually a very, very good thing in daily life to be able to do. 
Because what you can do is you can just question everything around you. And you start to go with your intuition rather than basing what you think on the past. So just in daily life, that means you are more open to different people, to different cultures, to if you hit a problem, you won't get stuck as much. You will be able to find a creative solution around it. Mm -hmm. um, so this, I think, is, is very useful in daily life. Mm. And I think we forget about it. And I have the feeling that circus is the perfect way to get people back in this state of mind. And maybe they will come out of a show and suddenly think like, hey, but what about if I thought about this problem that I have right now completely differently, completely weirdly, then maybe I have the solution that I have been looking for. So that would be, for me, that would be amazing if they come out of a show and this is the result. Yeah. So this is what I mean about yeah. uh, creative thinking. I think I understand <laughs> that because I, I notice a lot when you see a circus show, a lot of the process is taking, especially with like clowning and stuff, is taking a problem and just like approaching it from many different angles. And sometimes it's comic and sometimes it's sad and sometimes it's frustrating. And it's not really about getting the solution, although that's very satisfying when it happens. It's just about finding multiple solutions. And yeah. that seems to be like what drives a lot of circus research. And then when it comes out in show form, it's like really gratifying to see how absurd it can get and how abstract it can get, but that how it still somehow resonates with us. Yeah. Yeah, I think it still stays relatable in that sense. Mm. And so this is for me like the basis or the philosophy behind what I do. And then from there on, um, I will start with, a, with a, an idea more specific for one project that I want to do. Mm. That's interesting. Well, when you, how many people, can you tell me a little bit who you interviewed in GRIP? Um, and then I'll ask you some questions about that whole experience. Sorry, what was the question about the people that I interviewed? Yeah, you interviewed Gypsy Snyder, Bauke, Levens. Who else did you interview? Um, I interviewed uh, Christian, Benjamin, yeah, Gypsy, um, Alexandre. And Bram from AIO. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know this company. But, I don't um, know. And Pia from... Um, uh, she's from the Netherlands. Well, no, she's actually German, but she works in the Netherlands. So. Okay, so it was a pretty diverse group of people. Did, did you discover in your interviews with directors... Uh, they were all directors, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, did you discover any unique elements about making circus that don't apply to theater and dance? And anything that was like an aha moment for you? I had so many aha moments. It's incredible. That's good. <laughs> I think with each one of them, I had at least one of those moments where I was like, oh, right. Something you kind of knew already, but when they put it into words like that, you're like, oh, okay, now I can really work with that from now on because I, something clicked in my head. So uh, I could, yeah, I guess you would just have to read it. But for me, there were so many clicks with them. Just 
Can you sing? Some of the also I talked to quite a lot of people that uh, didn't end up in the interviews because I just talked to them and I didn't have like the recording and everything, so I didn't. But for example, I did a workshop with Bauke Zweigman. She's a dancer. She creates multidisciplinary shows. Um, and um, she did a little workshop how about how she works and she basically said the medium is the message mm -hmm. and this is also a kind of something that comes back with some of the other creators is that when you look at it circus from a theater perspective then you start to want to put meaning on what we do but actually it already has meaning yeah. what we do so a lot of creators said like why are we trying to like come up with dramaturgy and and to like come up with different relationship between the people and different storylines and everything and why don't we just start from what's already there mm -hmm. because we are already crazy trying to walk this wire from point a to point b <laughs> we could also just walk on the floor but we choose not to so what does that say about this person, about the situation? So it already has so much in it. So I guess that's what's different. And at the same time, it's what is the same in theater. But with theater, they often start from, from a character that is not themselves or from a story that is already written. Mm -hmm. And these are not points that we can start from in creating circus. So that's a definite difference. Oh, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. But the thing that interests me about what you said before that about how you, the medium is the message, it seems very similar to like a traditional circus perspective as well, which is just, you know, it's the, it's the act, although I think traditional circus focuses more on a trick, you know, or on mm -hmm. like achieving the impossible. Yes, that has its own meaning and story to it, but if you want to say something more nuanced, how can you do that without having a theme or an idea behind it? I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, I think um, more answers about that were more in the people that I talked to who have a bigger background in dramaturgy, so in, in larger dramaturgy. Mm -hmm. So you have like the, the, the small dramaturgy is more like the line within the show. And then the, the bigger perspective is how you see the world or how your show relates to the genre or to the art world in general and stuff like that. And the idea that the job of a dramaturge is to point out um, things that you think are just the way they are as choices that you have made already that was kind of a big step for me mm. to see it that way so if you apply this to traditional circus there are so many things that are already decided in a basic traditional circus show mm -hmm. for example that we can only have an attention span of six minutes before something else needs to happen sure. yep. or that um Things need to have glitter and um, and colorful and whatever to capture our attention. Or, or that you should hold a pose and not flow through your movement. Yeah, yeah. for example. Mm -hmm. or, or that 
the audience will not understand that something is difficult unless you fail it on purpose. Mm -hmm. Or there are so many things there, so many basic tools that you could re-question actually. So I don't think that the pure action of doing circus is the same as traditional circus. Hmm. Okay, that's a fair point. I get it. Um, the next question I want to ask you about is the illustration in your book, which is really beautiful. It's like an outline of all the strings that connect the process of creating. And it's sort of a circle, spiral, with these words. It says idea, elements, aspects, methods, construction, show. Is this, um, is this a rubric that you came up with? And can you give me a quick explanation of the terms and how they relate to circus making for you? Actually, this was quite funny because I've been trying to group together um, things that I have found out into logical blocks to to kind of have a structure to write around and I wanted to have some kind of visual with it because otherwise everything is so abstract and in words and actually most circus people are kind of visual people so it would be helpful to have a visual with it yeah. and so I was talking to one of my partners um, Hanneke and she actually does a lot of this graphic design and she co-created uh, the third project of the development program with me, Pitt. Mm. Um, and so she made the, the graphic in the book with that, from what I talked about. <laughs> but it helped me actually a lot to structure my thoughts, to talk to her and to... And she actually said, well, why... Because I wanted to go from point A to point B and have like a line in between <laughs> where you could pass through. And she realized that's never going to work because everything that I wanted on that one page was completely impossible for her to, to put on one page and still make it look like something nice. So then she came up with the um, circle idea. And how interrelated each thing is. Yeah. So, for example, though, uh, you, you, when, you're, when you're working now and you, and you see that, I mean, you see this graphic, do you ever come back to it and say, what phase am I in now? Am I in the method part? Are we in the elements part? Does, does that ever occur to you? Or is it more kind of built into the way you think now? Um, no, not in that sense. Because I, like most creators, I don't go through the thing, through the graphic logically, actually. Mm. But um, it does help me to, to kind of get an overview of where I stand. Mm. Do I have, um, do we have my basic idea clear? Did I consider all the elements involved on stage? Because that's like uh, the second uh, circle is the elements. And did I think about light, choreography, space? Did I think about all the things that will be on stage in the end? And then the aspects for me, uh, you don't need to consider all of them. They are more like um, things that are specific to one project that might influence the rest. So for example, a street show, um, I want to be able to perform my street show three times a day. That will limit some of the choices that I will make in that creation. So that's more the aspect mm. part. And then the last uh, circles, which are like uh, the construction part, um, this is natural by now, I would say. Yeah. 
and actually seeing if all those ideas work during the construction part, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's where I am right now in the creation. <laughs> yeah. So how is it going now, your show, the creation phase? It's good. We did a full run today for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, of course, I immediately realized that I wanted to cut some stuff and change try different ways of doing it at least. Maybe not change it in the end, but at least mix the whole thing up again to see where I can still win on intention and um, and mainly relationship between us two because it's just us two and we need to develop that relationship. We cannot start on the same level as we finish. So that's the main things that I'm struggling now, like the arc of the total show and the rhythm of it in its totality and right now you're the performer and the dramaturg and the director is that right uh yes <laughs> what challenges arise from that because you how do you pop outside of yourself and look at it or do you have a, someone who just acts as an outside eye occasionally to give you some insight or i would have liked to but uh with the current corona circumstances it's not really an option mm -hmm. Um, what I try to do is I try to separate the performer and the, let's say, director. So I try, when we do something on stage, I first try to evaluate what I felt as a performer and how I think it came across. Um, after we did it, and then I look at the video. Mm. And then I try to also push aside all the feelings that I had while doing it and try to look at it as objectively as I possibly can, which is, of course, <laughs> not possible, but whatever we try. Yeah. And, and then um, I try to find uh, what they have in common. So if the director sees something and the performer also feels something, then for sure I need to do something with that. Wow. Thank God for video because otherwise it would probably be hard to 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 see yourself that objectively you know yeah i i would say it would not be possible to to do that objectively without video i don't know how i would do that but some other people definitely also said that they don't like video just because it doesn't represent feeling so what you feel on stage, you cannot tell how it comes across, but a video cannot tell that either. Yeah, I could. So the best way would still be to have another person who can just say what they felt from you, in my opinion. That's complicated, but I get it. Um, so can you give me an insight that you gained while interviewing one of your guests, like a specific example? Was there an interviewee that really clicked with you and your methods or one that made you stretch your imagination to understand their work? Um, I think the one furthest away from me was uh, Benjamin from Sasekripa. Um, I saw a duet from him and um, um, his partner. Um, and I, I, I adored it. I absolutely adored it. Um, and I didn't know how they got there. So it's, it's a show in a tiny tent 
we are all squeezed together as an audience and they are inside this little tent. And um, as he put it, the show is about two old acrobats making a hot wine. And that's it. There's nothing more to it. And still they kept me completely intrigued through the whole process. And why I say he was furthest away from me because his way of creating was really to bring some objects, make a little sequence with them, and then improvise around that sequence. So he used improvisation, but he first made like a structure. For example, there are five actions. Uh, these two people stand opposite each other, they throw each other this object, and then it needs to drop on the floor, the other one needs to get it, and that's it. And then this sequence could take three seconds, but it could also take five minutes. <laughs> so that's how they started, and then they started to, to see what material they still needed, and how, what this relationship was, and everything, and I'd never worked like that before, so I think that was the the, the one that opened my mind most about trying something completely differently. Wow. And has it affected you? Have you ever tried anything like that since? Well, now I have said, okay, I will just bring the objects that I think could be useful and, uh, and go from there. Uh -huh. But I'm not sure I'm that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Oh, that's great. And the one closest to me, I think, um, wow, um, maybe Bram, actually. Well, he's a, he's a, his company is a juggling company, mm -hmm. so it also is different in a way, but in the, in the way of creation, it was kind of similar to, to what I would say I did in the past, which is... Um, creating your own rules and then um, finding a lot of material within that, then building a structure and then judging if this is actually something worth getting into. Hmm. So it takes quite a lot of work in the beginning. Yeah. Um, but it is... Uh, it is... It is limits that, in, that inspire me the most, which is, of course, I think for most artists the case, but by setting yourself a set of things that you can and cannot do, you have to find a way around it, and, and that creates really new material because it's, it's a kind of a danger to fall back into what you've already done in the past mm -hmm. and also the, let's say, the, the traditional tricks that you have. You have to really get outside that you have to kind of prohibit yourself from doing that. So, Yeah, and the thing about that that's sort of complicated is you might go through that whole process and then decide that it's not, it's not working at the end, right? And then you throw away yes, everything. Yes, it's possible. <laughs> but it's, it's a really interesting idea, this limitations thing, and I think it seems so relevant right now with the fact that almost every artist around the world is extremely limited in and how they can communicate to their audience and how has that impacted you? It's been months now that everybody's stuck at home because of the quarantine. And I mean yeah. and I mean artistically and creatively, not financially or Well, at first, honestly, after working for ten years, 
I've never had a break this long. I am kind of enjoying it. Ah. It's not so bad for my body. <laughs> um, I've been um, checking a lot uh, into what I've written down in the past. Mm -hmm. And um, I came across two concepts that I wrote before that I thought, oh, actually, why did I put that aside? I want to do something with that. So that was very nice to find. Mm -hmm. um, and other than that, I've been um, working on a kind of audio documentary about the last project, PIP. Ah, oh, that sounds interesting. That I did, because it is kind of relevant right now. Um, it is set in a three by three by three space mm -hmm. with three artists inside, and the audience is looking into the space from above. Wow. So it is about proximity, um, yeah, limited space, but also the power and the freedom that comes with it. Mm. It's interesting that you say freedom because you don't think of it as being a situation of confinement and rules of having freedom attached to it. But I hear artists say this often that that yeah. frees you up to be as creative as you need to be. And is there an a way to apply that to our actual life experiences here? I think so, because you're telling me that you're, you're feeling more creative now. Yeah, I think because there is space in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I haven't had that amount of space in my mind in a long time because I've always had to go somewhere, see someone, do something, mm -hmm. running around from place to place. And I think, yes, a lot of people are feeling that freedom because there is so little you can do right now mm. that anything you do, you choose to do, mm. which is, to me, very liberating, actually. Yeah, I see that. There's a weird silver lining to this global pandemic. Um, tell me what you're looking forward to in 2020 and 2021. Um... <laughs> Artistically. I, um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to performing again. I'm starting again in one month from now. Okay. I have my first show with this new show. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. Um, Where will that be, Zinzi? I'm definitely looking forward to reuniting with my Common Ground uh, colleagues because we just started this collective and we were really close, oh. but now we have not seen each other in a long time and... We were really excited about performing the show outdoor because we did an indoor season before and now we were supposed to start our first outdoor season. So looking forward to that also a lot. Where will you be performing um, this show that you're working on now? Will it be an out, will it be a street show? And what place will you perform it at? Um, we're performing in uh, Rousselare, in Belgium. Mm -hmm. And the next day also, both are outdoor. So most things that we will do in the next coming months are like um, theaters that have um, asked uh, different places to have like a kind of courtyard situation where you can have the people around and on balconies. That's so cool. And we are outdoor, everyone is outdoor, so that makes, makes it everything a lot easier to organize for them and then they can have more people. That's so cool. That'd be really awesome to see. 
Well, I think I've asked you enough things, Zinzi. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we go? Oof. Mm. I'm just looking what I wrote down a little bit. It's funny because we've been talking a lot about um, the difference with theater and everything. Well, actually, my background with the composition, it's... I feel much closer related to dance. Ah, that's interesting. So... Well, because I think that the, the closest thing in dance and circus is, of course, you can have solo performances and acro dance and even handstands can be very related. Mm -hmm. But partnering in dance is really, really close to partnering in acrobatics. Or it can be, at least. It can be super far apart as well. Right. But it is definitely an angle that I really love investigating and I think much more as a choreographer I think than as a theater person I get that and I could see how you would feel that way about partner acro because it's so there's so many opportunities to s sort of flow back and forth between dance and acrobatics so that it's almost they're indistinguishable and I think you're right yeah. there's apart from maybe juggling in some aerial uh, disciplines maybe it's the most prone to offer dance as a you know as as part of its identity I guess yeah. that's cool did you take a lot of dance when you were younger no not really well yeah in the youth circus we had regular uh, dance classes as well but especially we had so many different types like we had an introduction to capoeira when we had um Brazilian uh, directors. Mm -hmm. Then we had, uh, at one point, we had a lot of hip-hop. Mm -hmm. And then um, one of our colleagues started a contemporary um, dance education. And um, as an internship, she decided to make a little show with us. So we did like a little contemporary dance project. That's cool. With some circus people. Are you still so, active with that uh, group, with the youth group? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the colleagues that I did the whole program with, the two-year development, um, I know them from Youth Circus. Mm. So we've kept in touch, and they've kept active as well in their own way. They're not performing, but they are definitely sticking to circus in their own way. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today, and I want to tell everybody that they should um, get the book Grip. It's available in... Um, uh, Flemish, Nederlandish, <laughs> what's the language? Nederlands. <laughs> Nederlands, and also in English uh, for download, and also you can also order a physical copy. It's very useful if you want to learn more about uh, methods that can be used to develop a circus show, and I appreciate you for pioneering the topic. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the podcast today. It was part of Circus Voices, brought to you by Circus Talk. Original podcast music is by Book Kennison. Please stay tuned for future series on this podcast and subscribe to Circus Voices wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. And now, a message from Circus Talk. During this time of pandemic, we've unleashed a new feature in our event section that will help artists and companies to get paid for their work. With a basic free membership, you can list your live stream, your on-demand or live shows and events, 
and now you can sell tickets and collect pay-what-you-can donations via Circus Talk as well. You can even list your classes and workshops and collect the class fees directly through Circus Talk's PayPal ticketing. Circus Talk helps promote these shows and classes on social media, too, for those who use this feature. This is a great tool to expand your audience beyond your own personal network and social media followers. So check it out.